So I was able to get away last weekend. We went up to visit uh, one of my sons in the Minneapolis area. And we're able to it's always fun to visit another church, just kind of get a perspective because you're always I'm always on this side, not on the other side. Um, and it was a it was a nice visit. Uh, but Hope Church was this church is better than theirs. So yeah. <laughs> just just got to say it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, and I won't tell you what church it was. No. Anyway, I'm just having fun, that's all. Carol's going, oh, Matt, please. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been talking about uh, the heroes of the faith and faith in general and what is it. And, and I think a lot of Christians are baffled about it. I think we think, I need more of it. And if I knew what it was, it would be nice to know. And, and sometimes we, we have these ideas. So sometimes people think, well, faith is really... Just believing the right things about God and Jesus and the Bible and, and stuff like that. And other people say, no, no, it's that, but it's more than that. Faith is believing without doubting. You cannot doubt if you doubt. You know, it's like almost like it's a meter, right? So believing, 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 doubting, doubting, doubting. And it's the faith meter, right? And it, if, you, if you have a lot of doubt, then... so. You, and people would say, you have too much doubt. And that's why God isn't answering your prayers. You can't pray with a, you can't have an, uh, 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 just a, a touch of doubt. If you have a touch of doubt, it pollutes everything and it wrecks everything. And maybe you've had people say that. Your problem is you just doubt too much. Um, some people say that you should have the kind of faith that this morning when the weatherman said, it's a 99% chance that it's going to pour most of the day that you say, I don't care, I'm going to go out without an umbrella. And I just believe in my heart that it's not going to rain. Well, good luck with that, because you are wetter than a rat tonight. Right? So, um, this series, what we're doing is we're looking at faith. And I want to give you a definition of faith. And, and I want you to see that it's a fairly simple definition to understand, but it's hard to do. And, and this is the definition I want you to look at. Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says, no matter how we feel or how certain we are that things will work out. That means sometimes you believe God even, even with, the, with the potential possibility that things may not work out. Some of us think faith means that I'm going to believe that things will work out. And if they don't, either I failed or God failed. Okay? So this weekend we're going to examine the call of Abraham by God. He's really one of the textbook examples of faith. I mean, he's like faith. Abraham's in there, right? So uh, we're going to jump to a couple of passages. First one is uh, Genesis chapter 12. And then if you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And if you go to page 10, you can find it. So I'm going to take my time letting you get there because last weekend I had my iPad. I could barely get to the passage. The pastor was halfway through it. That's another thing. That's a whole other thing. All right. Sorry. I got to stop. I know. I'll stop. All right. Anyway, uh, Genesis 12. And by the way, this is an incredible, incredibly important passage of Scripture, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, on page 10. Now, one other thing I want to say before we read this patch, passage. You're going to read this, and you're going to see Abram. That's Abraham. 
many times what God would do is he would have, begin a relationship with a person and then there'd be a key time where he would change their name. And, and he's going to do that with Abraham. He's going to call Abram, Abraham. So this is uh, the first uh, thing that we see here, though, with, with the Lord uh, speaking to Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Notice this next phrase. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, we'll hear more about Lot uh, down the road, went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. All right, so now uh, what I want you to do is I want you to jump to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews, and that's on page 926. You might want to leave a finger in the Genesis passage. But in page 926, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And this is the chapter that we said is the chapter of the heroes of the faith, and we're using this kind of as a springboard to talk about these heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11.8 It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. I'm going to jump down a little bit. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with, an eternal, with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You know, one of the things that if you haven't been paying attention to life lately, life has a lot of twists and turns. Some of them are exciting and they're encouraging. You get a promotion, you go to a new city. Others are difficult and discouraging and disappointing. So Moses is writing this book uh, of the book of Genesis, and he's writing it during the probably during the Exodus. So the nation of Israel is wandering in the wilderness and and Moses is is telling the people that are wandering in the wilderness, the nation of Israel, who have been slaves. And God said to Moses, go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so Moses goes and he leads them into the wilderness. The idea is. They were to go from slavery to the promised land. The promised land that God promised Abraham. I'm going to give you land. That was the, the idea. But they decided they didn't want to go there. So Moses led them for 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years. So as he's preparing the people for the promised land, he begins to tell them the story of Abraham. Now, why does he do that? Because they're thinking, who are we following? Where is he taking us? Why should we listen to him? And so he tells, he, he's telling the nation the story of Abraham, that Abraham was called by God to leave his country, his family, what was familiar to him, and go to an unknown place, which is exactly what the nation of Israel was doing. They were leaving their slavery, but they were going to the promised land and they were being led by Moses, somebody that they didn't really know. So Moses trying to show them 
uh, this. But notice, um, in the midst of, the, of Moses leading the people, it's very interesting because they start to complain. Have you ever done that, maybe as a kid, with your parents, or maybe your kids do it now? Are we there yet? How much further? You know, can we stop? You know, it's just like, oh, for crying out loud. And, you know, it got to the point where I just said, we're leaving like at 7 o'clock at night when we went to New York because everybody was asleep and it was fabulous. Nobody cared. Some of you young parents, that's a good tip. That's a pro tip. All right. Pro tip. When you're traveling a long distance with your family in a car, leave at night. You won't run into the city traffic jams and everybody will be asleep. Okay. Anyway. The thing I want you to see here is in the midst of Moses leading them, the people sometimes said, we don't like this. We don't we don't have food or water. We don't like you, Moses. And they began to complain. In fact, I'll read you one of the passages. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. These are the people speaking to Moses. They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us to death. What they failed to point out was they were slaves. They were prisoners. (laughs) So the writer of... uh, The book of Hebrews is challenging his readers because he's got a similar situation that Moses had. He's challenging his readers to hang in there, to hang on, that life is getting hard for them, that there's persecution that's coming, there's problems coming. And he wants them to be encouraged by examples of people who basically when God called them out of their security and life got hard for them, they hung in there and God came through. In other words, the writer of Hebrews was saying, trust God in those dark times. He won't leave you hanging. And so the question I want to answer, and I just have a little bit of time, is how do I live with hope in an uncertain world? How do I live with hope in an uncertain world? Well, the first thing is you must learn to trust God with the circumstances of your life. Uh, in Hebrews eleven eight nine, 9, it says this. Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his home and to go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went, notice, without knowing where he was going. So God is calling Abraham to leave his family. Um, Family for Abraham was more than it is today. Today we leave family and we move to another city. It's not a big deal, right? But in that day, leaving your family was, in that day, his link to his past, his present, and his future. He was leaving them with the knowledge that he would never see them again. That whatever roots he had were now being pulled up. For him, it was the most basic sense of identity. And God told him to leave it behind. Leave your inheritance. Leave your security. Leave your identity. And and he's saying, and leave it in my hands. Can you imagine that? Abraham went not knowing where he was going. He lived a big life of obedience to God. Now, I don't think this was his first first faith step with God, but it was a big one. Abraham demonstrated, though, his faith by trusting God with his life circumstance. He was willing to allow God to direct his life. He was willing to leave his comfort and security to follow the Lord. It's a hard thing to do. 
See, the principle here is you can't control your circumstances, but you can decide where you place your trust. Here's what I found in my life. The more I try to control my circumstances, the more I moan and groan about them. (laughs) The more stressed I am, the more uh, I allow God to control my circumstances, give them over to God, the more peace I experience in my life. You have found that in your life. I have. See, if you're going to walk by faith, you're going to need to trust God's plan. You can't say to God, and and this is what many Christians do. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you if. Um, You can't say, I'm going to do this thing if it's practical, if it's safe, if it's secure, if it's without risk, if, if, if. We put all those ifs in there. Or we try to manage our lives by thinking, so, so, so sometimes God, we know God's calling us. We know God's trying to direct our lives. But we say, God, I'll do it if. I'll do it if. Uh, you know, we put these conditions on there. Or some of us, you may be in this boat right now. Um, it's a good night to be in a boat. Um, but you may be th- th- this person that says, you know what? Here's the thing. Um, you are, are saying or you're thinking, I'll have a great life if this pans out. If I make this kind of money, if I marry this kind of person, if I have this kind of family, if I accomplish this goal, if I can only fill in whatever that blank is, career, you know, success, whatever it is, and you think that is it. If I have that, then I'll be good. In other words, what I'm saying is we're driven by our circumstances. But we're going to really find out that our circumstances aren't going to treat us well. In other words, we've got to stop this idea that if I have the right circumstances, then my life will be good or it'll be happy or it'll be put together or whatever it is. Because the problem is many of us never get to the place where where that happens. Number two, those of us that get to a place like that find that the circumstances aren't quite what we thought they were because there was other baggage that came with it. We often think that if we can just have the right circumstances, then I'll be happy. My life will be great. But life can't be controlled. Have we learned that lesson in the last couple months as we've looked at our world that we can't control our lives? We can't control a fire that's going to just burn our house to the ground or a flood that's going to or a hurricane or a madman. That there's so many things out there that we wish we could control. And everybody says, we've got to find a way to control this. We've got to find a way to stop this. We can't. We can't control the circumstances. You, you may go to the doctor's office because you're feeling a pain in your leg. And the doctor says, it's more than a pain. It's a problem. You can't control that. You have no control at all over that. So what do you do in a situation where you you have a, these circumstances that are part of your life that you can't control? And we think, well, but my problem is my circumstances. No, it's not. It's not your circumstances. And if you see it that way, then you're going to be a slave to your circumstances your whole life. 
We spend way too much time trying to control our circumstances and too little time leaning our hearts obediently to God. See, we, we, it's better for us to say, God, I don't like these circumstances, but they're not a surprise to you. You're still in control. You still have a plan. Don't know what it is. But I'm open to it. I'm looking for it. I'm ready to be led by you. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to rip you out. <laughs> You're leaving. <laughs> and it's like, you, whatever security you had, whatever identity you had, whatever prosperity you had, it's gone. <laughs> That's why it's so amazing that Abraham just leaves. You'll see some other incredible face steps he makes, but that's a big one. Because what he said was, okay, God's got a plan. And it may not be what the plan was that I had, and maybe his plan's better. I mean, I know, it's crazy to think that the creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, the one who made us in his image, may have a plan that's better than the one we came up with, but I know. Here's the second thing we see. You must look beyond this life to find an eternal hope. This is one of the keys that Abraham had. And this is where I think the wheels come off for many Christians today. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. So Abraham was looking beyond this life. That's essentially what he's saying. He was looking for an eternal city. Now, I said that uh, Genesis chapter 12 was a key chapter because what God says in that chapter is you're going to have multiple descendants. More kids. In, you know, he goes on later in the couple chapters and he says, you're going to have more kids than the stars of the sky and the sands and the seashores. You, you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to be, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a, a land to possess. Here's what happened during Abraham's life. He never saw his descendants grow in numbers as the stars of the sky. He never saw that. He barely, he struggled to have his first son of promise. I mean, that's a whole, like, struggle just for Sarah and Abraham to have their first baby boy. He never lived in the promised land. In fact, you probably caught that in Hebrews where it says he lived in a tent. What's a tent? Anybody living in a tent today here in this audience? No, probably not. We're probably not. We're probably, you know, tent. We think tent's temporary. You know, tents for like a weekend or maybe a week. Hotel rooms are better. <laughs> but we, but, but, but Abraham lived in a tent as a nomad. And God says, I'm going to give you land where you're going to have a per permanent place. Never saw it. He never met the child that would bless the whole world. Remember I said that one verse and you will have a descendant and will bless all the earth. Abraham never met him. Never knew of him. We'll talk more about that later. Abraham lived, though, with an earth eternity on his horizon. He lived beyond here and out, and he looked forward to an eternal home. He had an eternal perspective. I think many Christians have lost that today. I think the pull of our, our, our pop culture just keeps our eyes down. See, 
the Bible says that when we become a, a Christian, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we not only become part of a family, but we become citizens of a new kingdom. And your heavenly citizenship equips and empowers you to live filled with hope here and now. Knowing that, that, that there's this, this heavenly city and that we're citizens of the king in this new heavenly city that he's preparing for us, it helps us to, to, to see this world in a different light. And here's the problem. If you're looking to have it all here and now, you're going to be disappointed. Because most of us are never going to get what we want to see here and now. For the Christian, though, the best of life is yet to come. If this life is all there is, then we have no basis for hope. We look at our world, we look at the events of the past month, hurricanes, earthquakes, mass shootings, bombings, terrorism, threats of nuclear war. It's enough to make you worry. It's enough to make you think, I don't feel secure. But if we have an eternal home, then we have a foundation for life here and now and forever in heaven. See, when you're living for eternity, things that would carry too much weight in this life lose their pull in your life. When you realize that, that, that this life is just, a, is just a vapor compared to the eternity of heaven, that when, you, when you start looking at life that way, when you live with eternity in your heart, um, those things that, that, that have a pull on your life, you're able to let go of them and you're able to release them because you know that the, the real show hasn't started yet. There's another life in another place waiting for us. And when we know that, then the things in this world will rock, the things that go wrong in this world and the circumstances will rock our world less. See, if we just are living for here and now, then we hold on to money, power, possessions, achievement, relationships with a really strong grip, and we don't want to lose any of them. And when we be, by the way, if you know, if you want to know if you're holding on to them too tight, when you start to lose them, your world comes apart. You start losing, you, you, you start losing it. Um, let me give you an illustration. <clears throat> if you had, let's just make it a cool hundred million dollars in the bank, okay? And, all of a sudden, uh, you're, you're leaving church and apparently we have, uh, we are in a bad neighborhood and you get robbed in the parking lot. And the, the guy with a gun says to you, give me all you got. And you pull your wallet out and you have a thousand dollars in your wallet. And you give him a thousand dollars and you know, you're, you're a little flustered by the, 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 the whole event. But in the end, you you basically go, it's nothing. I got a hundred million in the bank, thousand dollars, nothing, right? It's nothing. You see, that's what the eternity is supposed to do to our hearts. We realize that we have eternity, and, and that, that Jesus, says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, that you will be also. 
we have that hope in our hearts. No matter what our life throws at us, we say, you know, that's that's a thousand dollars. It's not the end of the world. Maybe the end of this life, but it's not the end of the world. The other question I have is, where's your home? Where's your home? See, I think every one of us is wired. We have an internal wiring for an eternal home. And if your home is only here and now, here on earth, there's more and more reasons to be disappointed, discouraged, and nervous about the future. It's interesting, uh, listening to a few of the people that have in California have had their houses just burned to the ground. I mean, everything in it. It's just sad. Terribly sad. But the one thing I hear people who have made it out, basically, they say, but at least we have each other. We have our family, which is true. I mean, when push comes to shove, does it matter what kind of house you live in or what possessions you have? Would you trade it all if you had your family with you and you, you stay? You know, I mean, so values change, don't they? But like Abraham, if your home is in heaven, then you begin to loosen your grip on this world and, and you find freedom. These things don't control you. Money and power and relationships don't control you. You hold them with a loose grip. Last thing I want to say is there's only one place that you can securely put your faith. Verse 11 says, hey, he, Abraham, considered God faithful. See, everybody in this room, everybody you know, places their faith somewhere. In some place, someone, somewhere. We put our faith in love, but what happens when we're betrayed? We put our trust in healthy living. We say, I'm going to live a healthy life. I'm going to live as a vegan. I'm going to live healthy. Yeah, it's going to catch up to you. Uh, we, we put our trust in relationships only to be disappointed, right? Because we're all sinners. And whether we want to or not, or we're trying hard or not, we'll let somebody else that's trusting in us down. Here's the thing. Our faith becomes our anchor. When our anchor holds, life goes well. But when our anchor fails, our life falls apart. The question is, where are you anchoring your faith? This is what uh, the writer of Hebrews says. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. That's the eternal hope. This hope is strong and trustworthy. Notice, an anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So this curtain of God's inner sanctuary is what I said at the communion where it's this curtain that was between the the holy place and the holy of holies and it was torn from top to bottom. Only once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in to offer a sacrifice and Jesus on the cross, he became the Passover lamb. His blood was painted on the cross for us. And when he died, the last words were, it is finished. And from that point on, the, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. And when we place our faith in him, his shed blood on the cross saves us from our sins. We place our faith in him. We come into, we can come into his presence 
can come boldly, Hebrews says, into his presence. So Jesus Christ gave us the greatest demonstration of faith. He willingly trusted his father and obediently carried out the divine uh, eternal plan. His obedience resulted in his death. But our salvation. You know, that's the way faith is. Sometimes when you believe in God, things don't go well for you. They didn't go well for Jesus. They did for us. Philippians puts it this way, and I'll close with this verse. He, Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He did it because he loves us. We didn't deserve it. But notice what Jesus did. He trusted his father. And when God said to Abraham, I'm going to yank you from everything that's familiar to you and take you to an unknown place. I'll let you know. Abraham just believed God and trusted him with the circumstances of his life. And what I'm going to challenge you to do this weekend is to walk by faith, which means you walk by faith in meaning you walk in obedience to God and you trust him with the circumstances of your life. And you can only do that when you're grounded with an eternal perspective on this life. That there is an eternal home that Jesus is preparing for you. And you can only do it when you know that He loves you so much that He sent His Son. And that Jesus loves you so much that He gave His life. So God is all in for you. And when you walk knowing that the God of the universe is all in for you and that He's preparing a place for you, you can look at this world from an eternal perspective and you can loosen your grip on the things that are bringing you security. You know, the ones that are letting you down every day. Your bank account. Your relationships. Your job. And you could say, but I'm looking for an eternal home. To somebody who's already given everything he could to me. And that gives me hope. So when he says, I'm going to take you somewhere, you say, I'm good. Let's go. That's what faith is. Obedience to God. Even when you don't know if it's going to work out well for you. Trusting Him. It's simple. To understand. It's hard to do. Let's pray. Stand with me. Father, thank You for Your love for us. Thank You for the example not only of Abraham, but mostly of Jesus. That he went um, and obediently followed the plan, the divine plan that led to our salvation. And it didn't work out well for him, but it did for us. May May we trust you, Father, with the circumstances of our lives, knowing that we have an eternal home and a Father in heaven that loves us so much that he would send his Son. And a Savior that willingly gave his life. May we always reflect upon that. So that we loosen our grip on the things of this world. And find our hope in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.